0: This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria.
1: Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the third Sunday of December, December 18th, 2016, seven days away from Christmas. I'm sure you're all out there running around shopping. We're on at 5 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. Today, we are live from our New York offices, and we're going to be talking about broadband service trends for 2017 and beyond with our guest, Stefan Borg. And I'm Tom Dioria, I'm the CEO of Information Methods, Incorporated, and together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, and our first segment, Tech Talk, provides you a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our new stride report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us on many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to Tech Talk. That's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call, or send an email message with questions on today's topic, or anything else that we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369, and if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll free at 1-866-536-1100. Uh, you can send email questions to that email address I gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. We monitor that throughout the show. If we don't get you on today's show, we'll definitely send you a response to try and get you on next week. And we're also being simulcast on the web. So if you can't get to your radio and you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, That's IMI-US.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. You can download them, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call anytime during the show, and we'll try and get you out as quickly as possible. First segment's our Week in Review is our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Jose Batista, Dan Dioria, and David Brandon. Okay. AM New York tells us that view every car crash in the city with a click of a mouse. The NYPD launched its online database for traffic-related incidents traffic stat. Mayor Bill de Blasio, who has been pushing his Vision Zero initiative to reduce pedestrian and driver deaths, said that the police have used the data to tackle problems at specific locations and he hopes that New Yorkers would use it to reduce accidents. The site, HTTPS, which means it's secure, double backslash org. It's updated every Tuesday, includes statistics on a number of citywide collisions, injuries related to motorists, pedestrians, passengers, and bike riders, and fatalities. The data can be viewed citywide or broken down into police precincts and has a map that pinpoints the exact location of collisions. On the site, which was dubbed the cousin of NYPD's CompStat Crime Database, also breaks down the incidents by days of the week so that users can see which days have the most number of collisions. Bill de Blasio and NYPD Commissioner James O'Neill said that they will use the data to conduct precision policing in the worst locations. Extra officers will be deployed to those streets such as Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn to watch for illegal and dangerous drivers with extra checkpoints to catch drunken drivers. Paul steely White, the executive director of the nonprofit group Transportation Alternatives, said traffic stat is the first step to improving transparency, but added that the city uh, needed to improve their veracity and access to crash data. Specifically, he pushed for MV 104 reports which are required to be filed by motorists who cause more than $1,000 in damage during a collision to be publicly available. So if you didn't know that, you need an MV-104 in case you have a big accident, although $1,000 in some of these cars today is a minor accident. Test company tells us that while the Big Apple has blossomed into a major technology market over the last several years, comparisons between New York and the Bay Area tend to overlook the unique nature of each locale. What New York City's tech industry lacks in billion-dollar exits, it makes up for in diversity and deeper integration into existing databases. By most recent measures, New York's technology scene remains less than one-third the sign of San Francisco's. And high price exits like Yahoo's $1.1 billion acquisition of New York-based Tumblr in 2013 may be relatively rare. Although Verizon's subsequent $4.8 billion acquisition of Yahoo may help shape the West Coast-East Coast rivalry in the long run. But what's brewing in New York is viewed locally as a different kind of beast altogether – complete with its own metrics for success. One person who can vouch for the New York tech market's inclusiveness is Michelle Peluso, chief marketing officer at IBM. In 1999, she co-founded the vacation site Site59, later acquired by Travelocity, where she then served as CEO for seven years. In her early quest for funding, Peluso found herself spending time in Silicon Valley where dot-com bubble era extravagances was on full display, so where the faces of men, lots and lots of men. For Peluso, the advantage of New York market goes beyond diversity. As the head of, the market, of marketing for IBM, she works out of the company's New York offices and is able to tap into some of the cultural institutions and creative industries that one can only find in New York. Indeed, New York's creative culture is one of the things that local technology industry could take greater advantage of. One obvious place to focus would be on design. Well, that's pretty interesting. Okay, TechCrunch. Snoops, FactCheck.org, PoliticFact, ABC News, and AP will help Facebook make good on a quarter of the six promises Mark Zuckerberg made about fighting fake news without it becoming the arbiter of truth it will make fake news posts less visible how they're going to know they're fake append warnings from fact checkers to fake news in the feed but it'll already be out there make reporting hoaxes easier and disrupt the financial incentives of fake news spammers certainly have seen a lot of that facebook will now refer to fact-checking services that adhere to Poynter's Netter's International Fact-Checking Network, Fact-Checker's Code of Principles, but you didn't know about that. If they confirm a story is fake, they notify Facebook through a special reporting website it exclusively built for them and can include a link to a post debuking the article. Facebook will then show posts of those links Lower in the news feed, it will also attach a warning label noting disputed by one or more of the fact checkers with a link to the debugging post on news feed stories. And in Status Composer, users are about to share a dubious link, plus, prohibit disputed stories from being turned into ads. Facebook will only send the most popular, potentially fake news stories to a avoid inundating the fact checkers how are they going to do that well it's going to be interesting to see how this works since there's a lot of fake news out there and i'm not sure how the fact checkers are going to keep up to it and then how you're going to know that it's been fact checked after you read it already thinking it's fact it's a little full slippery slope there okay and finally uh, bloomberg news tells us that ibm chief executive officer jeannie romney said she plans to hire about 25,000 people in the United States, invest $1 billion over the next four years, laying out her vision for filling technology jobs in America on the eve of the meeting of industry leaders with President-elect Donald Trump. Romney, who is on Trump's advisory panel of business leaders, will join Facebook Inc., Sheryl Sandberg, Amazon.com's Jeff Bezos, and Alphabet inks Larry Page and Eric Schmidt as the summit of the Trump in New York that is said to focus on jobs. So this has happened, and uh, we hope that uh, everybody gets into a cooperative mood and stops helping the United States with all the technology needs that the government has, since the government seems to be, in my opinion, a little inept in keeping up with technology. Um, So IBM said that in March it had more than 25,000 positions open globally and that it started to cut some jobs in the United States as part of workforce rebalancing in an effort to add staff with cloud and other specific skills. So we're going to see whether or not uh, she's true to her word or not. Okay, so we're going to take a break now. We're going to get to our guest Stefan Borg. We're going to talk to you about broadband service trends for 2017 and beyond. Uh, After the show, thank you for waiting. Uh, go out and finish your shop holiday shopping. Uh, this is Tom Dioria. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on, uh, KFNX AM1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back with our guests. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diore. It's December 18th, 2016. We're a week away from Christmas. And as I promised you before the break, today's show we're going to be talking to you about broadband service trends for 2017 and beyond with our guest, Stefan Bork, who is a technological inspiration behind incognito software systems. Provisioning solutions as CEO, Stefan has built an elite team of dedicated engineers championing Incognito's development of high-performance multi-platform IP service enablement solutions. He's originally from Montreal, Canada, educated at Concordia University. Stefan. Applied his computer engineering background at Banyan Systems to design enterprise network management systems for Fortune 1000 companies like Bell Canada. Stefan, uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us today during the holiday season.
0: Well, thanks for the graceful introduction there. I really appreciate it.
1: And it's been over a year since we had you on uh, talking about automation. Can you remind our audiences, uh, for those one or two people out there that are Warrant listening? What your company, Incognito, does and uh, what your role is as CEO?
0: Certainly. Uh, Incognito is a company that really builds software solutions for broadband providers all over the world, so companies like the the Coxes and Comcast of the world. And what we really do is we write the software platform that enables these providers to enable, configure, monitor, and administer and manage all these devices they give you to provide broadband to your house. So if you have a cable modem, a DSL modem, or if you have fiber, you'll have a little black box uh, where a connection comes from the internet company that gives you either Wi-Fi inside the home, or if you're lucky, you also have probably a wired ethernet inside your home where you plug in your smart TVs, or you use your laptop to connect to Wi-Fi and get you internet inside the house. At, at Incognito, I founded the company 25 years ago, and I really, uh, I'm really i a software engineer at heart. I love software, and I love talking to customers, and uh, my, my job here is to try to see uh, what trends are coming from the industry, what new standards are coming up, meaning with uh, cable companies and uh, provider companies, and see what kind of challenges uh, they are facing, and try to bridge their challenges with our platform and enable solving their
1: problems or their future problem in, in many cases. So that sounds like a, a pretty challenging job, basically predicting the future. Um, we're, we're approaching the end of the calendar year, as everybody knows, and it's uh, usually a good time to analyze what occurred uh, during the last 12 months and what you think, uh, based on your analysis, what we have in store for us. Um, more and more people are doing a lot more video stuff online hogging up a lot more of that internet um, and we saw that I'm sure during the election and the Olympics uh, how are service providers responding and uh, are the consumers getting high quality or are they suffering nowadays with the increased use
0: Well, it's a great question I mean what what we're seeing uh, providers do. There's been a very large shift in internet traffic over the years. Uh, if we talk 10 years ago, uh, the big traffic was really uh, email and web browsing. Then came social networking, and for the past four or five years, we've seen video in, in all, all of its forms, whether it's uh, on demand service like Netflix or channels like YouTube and so on or Hulu. Uh, that traffic now pretty much covers around 75 to 80% of all Internet traffic these days. So videos had a huge impact on the amount of data consumed by the consumers, uh, the way they want to see things done, and it's put a lot of pressure on providers' networks. Uh, The good thing is the providers have all been slowly and, and responsibly growing over and upgrading their networks. So what we're seeing is we're seeing where in the market normally you could have, let's say, 10 megabits down, uh, now you're getting 25 to 50s to 100s. It's not uncommon to see 150. And now with fiber here and there and the new developments for both DSL and cable, you're now seeing people offering even more than 150. So at least now we're getting more and more bandwidth available. And there's been also a shift in the way operators approach their subscribers. I mean, we've all been there, you know, we've been told the the cable guy is going to show up at one o'clock, and eventually it's six thirty at night. There's a ring at the front door, and you've been waiting for five hours, and finally this, this person shows up. Um, they know that their reputation in terms of customer service, customer experience, has not been the greatest. In fact, you know cable companies have it at sort of the, the bottom of the, the people we like
1: <clears throat>
0: in terms of service. They've also now changed, so they're actually acquiring platforms and tools to let them improve this quality of experience. Now, whether it's the bandwidth itself, but also the way they deal with their subscribers and also the way they're trying to predict the amount of traffic on their networks so that you never get stuck into a situation where your bandwidth is not what you've ordered. So they're trying to predict the future as much as they possibly can, and they're trying to make sure this experience now is, is better and better for their subscribers. So there's there's been a shift over the years. They realize it's much easier to, to keep a happy subscriber uh, than to try to gain one who's left you because they were unhappy. So there's, there's been a, an industry shift in understanding for the economics and what's good for them is actually good for the subscriber too.
1: Now, when a... Um Company promises me, you know, a certain speed. In your experience, am I getting anything close to that speed, or is is that an estimate that's usually high?
0: It's usually slightly higher, and the re- the reason is is when you, you know, do you speed tests and so on. Uh, the, the speed test itself consumes a little bit of that bandwidth. So if you're if you're promised 100 megabits. Normally, you'll probably 98 or 99 uh, megabits or 95 megabits. There's a certain percentage that's sort of a waste over the communication if all things go well. Now, the thing is, not all bandwidth is equal going to every single website, and that's the problem. Now, you might have 100 megabits going to your provider. At that point, when it leaves the provider and goes to a site on the Internet, that speed may no longer be guaranteed to be 100 megabits.
1: So That's the, tough for the, me as a consumer to figure out, no? Uh, unfortunately, yes. And, and
0: what's what's happening here is that, the uh, again, in, in this search for tools and and platforms to help these providers tell you that if they provide you 100 megabits, you're actually getting 100 megabits. Now there's actually small robots going to network, and once in a while they'll go from your cable modem at home and launch a speed test while you're not looking at four in the morning to see, well, for this subscriber, are they really getting 100 megabits or no? Now, before it was just an after-the-fact exercise, so you'd call the provider, say, I think my internet is slow, or you ran a a speed test, you say, well, geez, it's not 100 megabits, it's 45, what's going on here? Call your provider, and then they could tweak the network or do something and know that, okay, we need to upgrade this section of our network because there's congestion. And that's slowing the speed from all, the, from all of our customers. Now they're proactively uh, testing the network randomly and, and consistently and, and continuously to see well, are we getting what we promise for all these subscribers on all parts of our network? This is all part of, you know, guaranteeing that this quality of experience that you get what you paid for and you can actually measure it.
1: Okay. I'll- uh, I'd like to your opinion as to whether or not it's um, geographically affected, in other words in the high population areas, if that's the case, or if I go out to Montana am I likely to get it uh, all balanced, but we have to take a break um, This is Tom DiUria, we're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100 It's the 18th of December 2016 and we're talking to you today about broad- broadband service trends uh, Stefan Bork is our guest, and we're going to be right back after these messages. The half-hour break, so you're going to get the national news, so it's going to be a little longer, but please come back, uh, and uh, we'll continue with it uh, Stefan. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk. on am KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiGiori. It's the 18th of December, 2016, uh, and we're talking to Stefan Borg about broadband service trends for 2017 and before the break we we're talking about um, whether or not the speed you're supposed to be getting is the speed you're getting and I was just wondering whether or not that's more geographically influenced or if it's pretty common wherever it is
0: I think the answer is it, it will vary with the provider you have and you know how new their network is what you're going to see is for for more established or someone's been around a little longer uh, they probably have older assets, and these older assets are limiting the bandwidth in the end. And, and, and this, is the, this is usually the problem. So as we're modernizing the network, whether it's going from uh, DSL, so old copper phone lines, to fiber, as we're doing the, this, this conversion, or we're going to the, the latest and greatest uh, cable technology, which is called DOCSIS 3.1, as we get into these newer technologies, you will see less and less discrepancies. Uh, unfortunately, these upgrades usually happen in urban areas a little faster than do happen in rural areas. Uh, rural areas sometimes also can only receive broadband through satellite. And satellite, although you have a, a big pipe down, uh, the up and down delays in uh, transmission cause, you know, slower response time for several websites. So that's an effect on on some of the rural areas. If you sort of go to the suburbs and so on, they are upgrading uh, as we speak to newer technologies, faster technologies. They're also fattening the pipe itself. And also to to try and guarantee you get close to your 100 megabit, a lot of these providers are trying to broker deals with content providers so that they have uh, content delivery networks on their own network. So if you talk to Netflix, instead of having to talk to the Netflix website, you will get a bigger pipe to Netflix and therefore hopefully guarantee this 100 megabits to sites like Netflix or YouTube or Hulu and so on. So operators are doing a lot in the background to modernize the way they also deliver content besides the pipe. Uh, there's also another problem. There's also a, a local problem inside the home now we all know and love Wi-Fi these days. My my niece thinks that Wi-Fi is the internet. You know, uh, they're, they're blending technologies and 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 actual content. But what often happens at home is that if you start to get interference, or if you're getting farther and farther away from your local access point, or your cable modem, then your speed starts to degrade. And sometimes people believe, well, this, my provider is slow where in fact it's just you having poor Wi-Fi coverage inside your home, or basically just slow coverage because there's interference, so you're in an apartment building, and there are lots of other people with Wi-Fi around, then radios need to be channel hopping and they need to uh interference, and that could contribute to you having lower speed, so not getting that 100
1: megabits you're supposed to be getting. Okay, well that's, that's- that's an interesting perspective, so people around the country can can understand what the factors are. There's also a major debate on how to charge subscribers. Is that becoming pretty standard these days, or or uh, is it still all over the place? Well, I think with
0: the, the new administration coming in play here, uh, this this is going to be an interesting debate. Uh, we've had, for example, for a little while, net neutrality that said you shouldn't be charging me, you shouldn't be uh, imposing or um, prioritizing my network traffic uh, with the new administration talking about deregulation and so on you know, we don't know what, what's going to happen there <clears throat> however there, there seems to be also a, a pattern is as cable companies or phone companies are realizing that their networks are now being used to uh, provide services to others so uh, the Netflixes of the world are making money off of the providers' backbone. Basically, they're also realizing, well, how can we make money off of those services because they're providing all the all the heavy lifting? And they say, well, you know, Netflix makes all the money. So what they're trying to do, they're trying to see, well, can we limit consumption or or guide our users to know how much they're consuming so that they might consume a little bit less and See, should we charge the high offenders, those who are downloading much more and are causing us to upgrade our network prematurely, or are causing a congestion in certain areas of the network? Should we charge those people a bit more money? So, you've had several providers are saying we're going to charge, and we're going to let you see how much you're using, so then you can make you can take a decision. Uh, some providers are saying, well, we just want to show them how they're using, so. We have the luxury, or that we can decide later on in life, should we be charging? And I think you're seeing almost all providers at least making their subscribers aware as to how much they're using. So just like your cell phone bill, they can decide later on, well, am am I going to provide an all-you-can-eat buffet for data, or am I going to say, I'll give you one terabyte or half a terabyte for free, and every hundred substantial... uh, Gigabytes you use after that, I'll charge you another five dollars or something like this. What's better for the consumer, based on your opinion? It's a, my thing is I believe it will be in the end a mixed both. What we see is providers provide a very high threshold. Uh, for example, if I'm not mistaken, Comcast is offering one terabyte download per month. Now, if you said when four gigs is one movie. This means 250 movies a month. So you see it's, that's 80 movies a day, basically. So if, you, if you're if you doing this, that's, you're watching a lot. So I think what they're trying to say is, okay, we'll put this threshold fairly high. So if you cross this threshold, you're doing something that we need to monitor, we need to monetize, or at that point you become such a high user that you're affecting your neighbors and you're affecting people in your community in terms of, taking all the bad away from them. So I think what we'll see is, and if if this works, if if they can get these heavy users subsidize network upgrades, basically, then we'll all benefit. So if you're a normal user, you'll never see an extra fee. If you're a very, very heavy user for whatever reason, you'll pay a little bit extra, and that little bit extra should go to upgrade the network around you. So
1: So is that how these... uh Companies are are trying to compete by increasing service, lowering costs. I mean, is there a primary factor? Um, is the market saturated, or is, are there still a whole bunch of, of uh, potential customers? That's about three questions in the same in the same thing here, and we've got about uh, two minutes before the break, so. Uh, so, answer as much of it as you can, and we'll pick it up after the break.
0: <laughs> All right. I, I think that the question is we're we're getting close to saturation in terms of network internet penetration in urban areas and, and most of the rural areas right now in, in the U.S. and Canada, for example. So the question now is how does a subscri- how does a provider attract or steal subscribers from their competitor, and that could be with providing unlimited bandwidth, unlimited. Uh, data usage, for example, those are possible ways of, of doing so. Uh, I think we're seeing right now speed is less and less a differentiator. If you go within the city, uh, when you talk to your phone company or your cable company, pretty much all of them can offer you the same speed. So then the operators to differentiate themselves a different ways. Is it going to be by the class of service? Is it going to be by uh, having a, a great portal for you or... Or bundling in, it's video and data or voice data together, so they'll have to be a lot more creative if they want to keep you as a customer or attract new customers. And I think this is good for customers in the end. You'll have the providers fight for you by giving you something that you need or, or at least that you value, right? And in the end, I think it's going to be, it, it, it's a good thing for the subscriber out there to have. Operators try to become experts at what they do, and when you call them, they pick up the phone after two rings instead of being in a queue for 25 minutes. Uh, And when someone picks up the phone, they can help you right away. Uh, They have the right systems, assisting them in the background in troubleshooting your problems and solving your problem much faster.
1: Well, that would definitely be something that uh, would differentiate my cable company, I'll tell you. We're going to take a break. (laughs) We're talking to Stefan Bork about uh, broadband service trends for 2017 and beyond. This is Tom DiOria. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's December 18, 2016. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after these messages, so please stay tuned. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's December 18, 2016. I'm Tom Dioria, and uh, we're talking to Stefan Borg about uh, broadband service trends for 2017. And, Stefan, if our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: They can always look at our, our blogs. We, we publish a lot of blogs about quality of experience, and we're we're trying to really bring customer attention to the provider. And, and I can say they very also receptive at seeing, okay, what can they do from their side to keep the attention of, this, of the subscriber and keep their experience uh, top of mind and keep it all the time? So we're at incognito.com. You can look at our blogs, you can look at myself, and we have several contributors over there about anything that the broadband industry does. All right, great. Is fraud a
1: big issue in broadband? It's, not a,
0: it's, it's less and less of an issue. Uh, in, in, in the earlier days, you had a device cloning happening. Right, you have less and less because the the providers are protecting themselves. Uh, there's much better firmware that's almost hacker-proof these days. Uh, so now fraud tends to be coming more from the inside. So you have you have your your buddy working for the cable company that they give you you know a little bit more bandwidth or an extra device or something else. So it's less of an issue, although it,
1: it's still
0: something happening still something okay. that we... I
1: don't have one of those buddies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth going to jail over. But is it being exactly. policed more, or are companies being more uh, proactive, or is it not really that much of an issue for them to spend time on? Well, the technologies have evolved to sort of protect themselves a bit. Uh, the systems,
0: I mean, we also have a, a fraud module, for example. You can go over a network and analyze subscribers and say, well, what are the discrepancies over there? Now what we also see is that there's fraud in terms of devices, there's also fraud in terms of let's say someone in an apartment building saying you know what uh, I'm going to collect 25 bucks from all my neighbors over here and they can all, they can all use my Wi-Fi, right? <clears throat> and that's a different kind of fraud where it's a little bit harder to catch but again with, with all the analysis going on here uh, the cable providers are able to see fairly quickly who's abusing the network and who's not. So eventually, you know, if they do implement a billing for data use, your friend who's who's trying to sell you his cable from his house might have to pay extra next month. So uh, we're trying to find ways to 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 keep everybody honest because if we keep everybody honest, hopefully costs will go down for everybody.
1: That's pretty interesting because I'm old enough to remember – when fraud entailed running a copper wire from somebody's house to somebody else's house. Now it's just access to wireless. Pretty funny. Um, tell us about Google Fiber. What's that all about? And is that making any uh, inroads?
0: Well, I believe Google has somewhat suspended their, their entry in market. But I think what, what they did was really uh, somewhat changed, so somewhat provoking the rest. Of the market, and say, look, if if you don't get any better, guys, you know, where Google will come after you, will come after your market, and I think it, it really woke up several providers and saying, okay, so what do we do if Google comes around here? Uh, so that's when everybody said, okay, well, let's make sure we keep our subscriber. Let's make sure we do more than we're doing today. Uh, people started doing more networks, uh, and <clears throat> I, I think Google did this as an experiment for themselves. See, well. Can we service this? Can we do this? What can we learn from a usage pattern from our own users if we operate the entire network? So I it was a sort of wake-up call for the entire industry saying, don't be shy, innovate, go forward, do something, because if you don't, someone will come and eat your lunch.
1: Okay. So if we continue on that front, there are municipalities in Tennessee where we have an office in North Carolina have taken measures to launch their own broadband. Now, that's been going on for a while. But they face legal challenges, as we know. Where do you stand on this? Is this something that's a, a good idea, or is that, you know, attack competition? What's your feeling on that whole thing? Well, my soul is kind of somewhat divided in this.
0: This is a very popular model in uh, Scandinavia, for example, where the government realized a long time ago. Uh, that broadband was much like a utility I mean these days if you know if you if you cut power you cut water or you cut internet people are going to have an you know a, a revolution so governments over there realized a long time ago that broadband is key to growth and commerce education everything else so they subsidized all these little villages and, and, and cities of five ten thousand twenty thousand uh, inhabitants and said look we're gonna lay down the fiber. Once we lay down the fiber, we'll we'll let you operate this little city over here. So very often these little cities have their own little broadband company, and I think it's a, in many ways, it's a great model uh, because we we're just giving. I think, I think we thought internet was a privilege or was a, uh, or luxury good, you know, 15 years ago, and now if you cut internet off, people will just revolt. So therefore, they've taken, that, they've taken that approach. I think in some uh, small areas where it, it doesn't make sense to have a, an operator come, uh, then probably the local government should deliver broadband. I think we need to provide broadband to everybody. If you're a, a small town of five, six, ten thousand somewhere, it may not be economical for a, a Comcast or a, a Cox or someone to a charter to come and deliver broadband to you. If you're in, a, in a, like I said, in, in Boonies somewhere, but if you're a local power company or you already have access to the home, might might as well just lay down fiber or copper or something, and then run the network. And once you've established a network in some of these small villages, then commercial companies sometimes take, buy the network or lease the network from the power company and will operate the network later on. So, I think it's a, it's a good way to do things where it's not economically feasible by a large corporation and that's that not viable
1: to provide service. Okay. I have one last question for you in the last two minutes. Uh, sure. Trump administration is battling toward us. Um, do you have any idea of what regulations or other types of things that they may get rid of, or I doubt they're going to come up with stuff. So is there anything that may help or hurt the industry?
0: Well, there's net neutrality at this point is really in the balance. Net neutrality says, my provider cannot decide to charge me more uh, for certain traffic, and they cannot sort of uh, abuse their power. And uh, The Trump administration has not taken any sides yet, but they might want to repeal net neutrality. And I think net neutrality uh, plays in the hands of the operators and not the subscribers. I think at this point, I I think, you know, my personal view is not all regulations are bad. Some will put it in there to sort of keep people in in line with certain things. I think net neutrality is a a good thing for users uh, because it's not at this point all based on money and so on. It means that if I'm a subscriber, I should be able to see a website somewhere and that website shouldn't be blocked or given less uh, bandwidth because it's from another company, right? So we'll have, we'll have to see what Trump decides to do or his advisors decide to do with net neutrality. I think it's going to be an interesting debate. In the end, I think we need some of it, maybe not it like it's in the current form, but some of that spirit needs to still continue with this, the original spirit of net neutrality.
1: Thank you very much for being on the show and wish you a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And I guess we'll have you on the show next year to keep the routine going of having you on every year. So thank you very much. Have a very happy holiday.
0: Thank you. And you too. And uh, wish all the best for your listeners
1: as well. Thank you. Okay, next week is our Christmas show, so uh, stay tuned for that. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, I Am President, Dave Brandon, Dan D'Uria, and Jose Batista for our week in review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Tess Henshaw, is our associate producer, and Matt Campagni is our executive producer. And we went out the help of Robert Bombach and the KFNX AM 1100 production department, not a word would you hear. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk. As I said, next week is Christmas at 5pm. Find KFNX AM1100, and remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to tech Talk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, enjoy your last-minute shopping, and thanks again for listening.
0: Independent Talk, 1100 KFNX.